0: In fact, you turn in your Bible this morning to Psalm forty-six. Psalm forty-six. As you're doing that, just want to uh, thank you again for the uh, generous gift that you gave to uh, to me and Joanne and to um, the Seamus's and the Veenstra's for Christmas. We thank you so much uh, for your kindness. Uh, we love serving this congregation and looking forward to another year with you. Also, um, just to celebrate. Uh, last Sunday, we took in over $60,000 uh, in the offerings for uh, general fund and building fund and adoption fund, um, church plant. Uh, praise the Lord uh, for such a, a wonderful outpouring of generosity. Uh, that That is an amazing thing. I don't know if I, it might be the highest um, collection we've ever had for a Sunday. Uh, God's been good to us this year. And uh, not just uh, with material blessings, but he's been good to us in providing for uh, for the ministry, giving us a spirit of generosity. We ought to celebrate that. So um, just be thankful in your heart that God's at work in your heart, in the lives of the, of the folks you're sitting with this morning, and God's helping us um, to grow in this wonderful uh, ministry just by supporting it financially. So praise the Lord, and we're looking forward to a, a good year ahead as well. We, we lean on him, but he's so faithful to us. Let's, um, Psalm 46. Um, I, one of my favorite psalms, a psalm that's well-known, and I thought a psalm that would be very appropriate as we start 2017 together. What are we going to trust in? What's our confidence? Psalm 46. Let's give our attention to God's Word. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's bow together in prayer. God in heaven, we come now before your word, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We thank you that men did not write these words uh, carried by their own spirit, but that as they were moved by the, the Spirit of God. And that these words then that we have are the words that you want us to hear. I pray that you give us ears then this morning to hear that these words would be life and health and peace for us today as we receive them from the mouth of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. April 2, 19, excuse me, 15, 21, uh, a man began, a, began a, a dangerous journey that had every potential of ending in his death. The man, of course, was Martin Luther, a German preacher and theologian. He was on his way to the city of Worms in Germany, where uh, Emperor Charles V had demanded that he appear on trial because of his heretical teaching. Pope Leo X had just issued a, a final ban on Luther, which uh, which officially ended uh, his allotted time for repentance. Uh, that had happened on January 3, and the, uh, the Diet of Worms opened with a letter from the Pope uh, charging Emperor Charles to do his duty, uh, arrest Luther, and stamp out the Protestant heresy. In fact, the um, two papal representatives that showed up in Worms informed the, uh, the emperor and the council there that if they failed to do their duty in this, uh, that they would wallow in their blood. Um, the pope was serious about this. In those days, as you understand, heresy was a capital offense. Um, people lost their lives Because of heresy, Uh, and but because Luther was popular with the common folk, particularly in Germany, of course, uh, the emperor, who was a German himself, decided to give Luther uh, one more chance to repent and recant uh, on the threat of death if he failed to do so. Uh, So that was um, what was going to happen in Worms. Uh, Luther had been promised safe passage. Uh, He had a letter from the emperor saying, uh, guaranteeing safety in his travels. Of course, Jonathan Huss had had the same sort of arrangement and only to be uh, taken and burned at the stake. So uh, Luther's friends were uh, justifiably concerned and begged him not to go. But uh, he would not be turned aside. He saw this as a great opportunity to defend the doctrines of grace. And so he says, I shall go to Worms though there be as many devils as tiles on the rooftops. Uh, Luther was keenly aware that there was a great spiritual battle taking place in the world, and uh, not a battle with flesh and blood. It wasn't the emperor or the pope primarily that were his concern, but principalities and powers. It took 10 days to travel um, to the city of Worms, and Luther spent his time writing a song based on Psalm 46, the song you know as, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Luther's quoted as saying, Come, let us sing the 46th psalm and then let them do their worst. God is with us and powerfully preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin let us sing the 46th Psalm and let them do their worst. It's a wonderful psalm to sing in a troubled world. And I've decided it'd be a great psalm just to reflect on again as we begin a brand new year, the year of our Lord 2017. uh, Because this psalm reminds us of essential truths, doctrines that we need to lay hold hold of if we're going to walk this year in a way that pleases the Lord. We are going to be engaged in the same spiritual warfare that Luther was engaged in. Uh, We're going to face trials and temptations. We're going to experience our weakness. We're going to be at times where we'll be confounded. Uh, The world, who knows what will happen on the world stage in 2017, right? Many are are, uh, prognosing difficult, dangerous things. But we can know that 2017 will be a year filled with good things because God, the living God, is for us and, and is with us, And that makes all the difference. And so let's look at Psalm 46 uh, together this morning. Uh, Notice first there's a a confession, and then the consequence of that confession, and then we're going to see the context where we live out that uh, confession, and then the conclusion, things that we can know because of that confession as we, we begin a new year. The confession itself, the psalm is held together, if you notice, by a, a reoccurring confession, confidence in God, verse 1, and then 7 and 11. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And that's repeated again in verse 11. And so the psalmist is uh, weaving this, this bold confession, this is what we believe. This is what we're convinced of. In the midst of um, a troubled world, this is what we uh, rest in. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Uh, The the Hebrew in the last part of that phrase sort of... uh, Puts words on top of each other. Uh, we, we, the English ESV translate a very present. It, it, the words are just are. It's God is an ever-present, intentional, purposeful, powerfully present God. He's, he's there in the trouble to assist and provide aid and comfort and help uh, everything that we need in trouble. God is there because He's there's a, a refuge and a strength. Notice uh, that the psalm doesn't say that he uh, is a refuge and stake keeping us out of trouble. He's not only a help from, but most importantly, in. Uh, Peace doesn't come... Primarily from the removal of trials. We we live uh, in a a world today and in a country today where where people have life much easier than than maybe ever in the history of the world. And yet people don't have peace. A Peace doesn't come from from ease, from removal of trials. Peace comes from the presence of the Lord. And, And that's true even in trials. So in Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Why not? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So will you go through the waters? Yes. Are you going to go through the rivers? Yes. Through the fire? Yes. Are you going to be overwhelmed? Are you going to be burned? Consumed? No. Because the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, is there with you. God's a very present help in trouble. It's a wonderful promise as we start a brand new year. It's an amazing thing to be able to confess. Uh, we uh, are certainly going to, uh, in various ways, experience troubles and trials this coming year. But we will never, ever experience a single one of those trials alone. God promises to be a very present help. Every step Every moment. And the the consequence then is immediately found here in verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear. Therefore, we will not fear. Boys and girls, do you ever get afraid? I've asked you that before. It's kind of common to children. Being afraid, being afraid of dark, being afraid of strangers, strange places. um, Being afraid of strange food even. There's lots of things to be afraid of. And, uh, and it's common for children to experience fear and, and to admit their fear. I'm afraid. Uh, boys and girls, big people get afraid too. Uh, big people fear all kinds of things. Uh, we maybe hide it in different ways, but we fear many things. And, and uh, one of the interesting things is, is as people get older, sometimes those fears just increase as they start to sense the diminishing of their abilities, their, their gifts, their strengths, their opportunities. We fear things like a devastating illness. We fear growing old. We fear for our children. We fear for maybe our country. We fear for things that we know and things that we don't know. Psalm 46 says, we will not fear. It's a commitment. It's a a promise in a sense made to ourselves. We will not fear. Not if God is our fortress, our refuge and strength, not if God is an ever-present help in trouble. Notice, we tend to think that courage is a personality trait. That's You know, we read stories of brave people who do courageous things, and we say, man, it would be nice to be like that. Or maybe you just know people who sail through life, and um, they're not troubled by things. They don't get they don't get frightened by things. They, they just it's gonna be it's gonna be fine. This is this is great. Um, well, we can easily say, well, that's 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 just a personality trait. I'm not like that. I'm more you know introspective. I'm more I think things through. I'm I'm not a pessimist. I'm I'm, I'm a realist, right? You've heard that before. Uh, I just see things as they are, and and uh, I don't have that personality trait. Well, th- this has nothing to do with personality traits. This has everything to do with what you profess to believe. Is God uh, these things or is God not these things? And if He is these things, you see, then you can say, if, if, if you actually believe what you say about God, then, then you can say, we will not fear. That, that, that this confidence, this assurance is, is available because God is who He is and because of the promise that He, the, the, the protection that He promises. Uh, we, we can say we will not fear. There's, there's reasons for saying this. You see? Don't miss the therefore. Because God is, is this, therefore we will not. We just need to keep our eyes on the Lord then, don't we? We need to keep our eyes on the things that he promises to be. This is, this is why we, we need to be reading our Bibles Just taking time to to open it up and and be reminded again the character of God and to be actually feeding your soul and your faith on the truths that you're reading. Not just sort of plodding through, but but what does it say and do you believe it? Does that resonate with you as true? And what difference will that then make in how you're going to do life today? Because God is this, therefore we will not. We need to keep our eyes on him. But notice, one of the things I love about this psalm, is that it's, this is no Pollyanna psalm of, uh, you know, this is just going to be wonderful. He, he, the psalmist, sons of Korah, talk about um, God is our refuge and our strength, ever-present help in trouble. And then it goes into talking about what sorts of troubles we're, we're, we're speaking of. There's a full awareness here of how difficult and threatening life can actually be. If you look at verses 2 and 3, continue, we will not fear... Though, you could say even though, there's a context here, and the writer lists these great calamities. Though the earth give way, and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, and its waters roar and foam, and the mountains tremble at its swelling. The earth symbolizes stability. We trust the earth to stay put, terra firma. We like it that way. That's why earthquakes are so unnerving. This is not supposed to be moving. And when the earth gives way, everything you see is threatened. The earth is what you stand on. It's what you count on in life. It can symbolize things like your marriage, your parents, your job, your health. It's, it's thi- th- these are things that you, that you just take, that these are, they're not going to move. They're going to be there. You can count on it. The mountains symbolize security. Mountains were places to run to, places to escape, places to hide, places to find comfort. And, and we have those things in our life. Again, it can be family. Maybe it's a retirement account. Maybe it's your gifts, your ability. It's what you run to. When things get tough, you know that because you're able to do these things, you're going to be okay. But you see, what if all of that gives out? What if the earth gives way and the mountains that you had hoped to run to got moved into the heart of the sea? Some of you know exactly what the psalmist is talking about you've had an experience of of something that you you just trusted in it was going to be there it was going to be there for all of your life and then and then it wasn't there it, it got moved and the and the mountain that you were, were had always run to for security that mountain was was now it, it moved into the heart of the sea it it was no longer available and in its place, there's chaos and destruction. That's what the sea stands for. The, the psalmist wants us to see roaring waves, collapsing shoreline, trees, earth, homes, right, all being swallowed by pounding waves so that the mountains, the, the things that, we, that, are, that are certain and fixed and secure, the mountain itself is, is trembling, about to go into the chaos. The world will look like that at times. The people in Aleppo are experiencing that today. Everything that was there, that was fixed, that was secure, that could be relied upon and trusted in, devastated and just chaos and destruction everywhere. The people in Istanbul are feeling that way this morning after another terrorist attack. This is what happens in a fallen world. And they're devastating things. But, see, it's, it's, it's exactly there in the, in, the, in the greatest devastation. It's there that the psalmist says we will not fear. It's not uh, you just had a bad day. I mean, that's true there as well. But we're, we're talking ultimate, ultimate tragedies. If everything that you rely upon in your life gives way, if a spouse dies and leaves you alone in a way you never had imagined, if dreams just disappear, retirement funds vanish children abandon you, when there are cataclysmic events like wars and natural disasters unfolding around us and threatening to swallow up the life that you know, that's where the psalmist says, we will not fear. We will not fear because the Lord of hosts is our refuge and the God of Jacob is our fortress. Scott says this, if our faith we as strong as our security is good. We need fear no combinations of enemies, no revolutions in kingdoms, no convolutions in nature. Rather, in the most tremendous dangers, we may triumph in the fullest assurance of security and victory. If our faith is strong, it's as strong as our security is good. The security is good. The, the, the promise is certain. God is these things. We can have the assurance of it. But notice now, after writing, describing this this picture of calamity, things falling apart, collapsing, being destroyed, chaos, verse 4 is this stunning uh, change of scenery. You have the sea and all of its devastation, its roaring, destructive uh, nature, chaos reigning, and then um, then verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God The holy habitation of the Most High. There's a place of peace. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Where Where is this place in the in the middle of a roaring tempestuous world? um, This this chaos, this destruction. Where is this oasis? This river. Whose streams make glad, and and God is there in the midst of her. Well, the city of God always stands in Scripture for the place where God communes with His people. So Eden was a city of God. And God and Adam and Eve dwelled together there in perfect harmony and intimacy and love. uh, And it was well supplied with rivers. And the rivers made glad the garden of Eden. And that theme goes all the way through that, that uh, Israel becomes the city of God. God dwells there in the tabernacle and later the temple. And God's, um, his sacraments, his law are streams of life. And, and the people are invited to drink from them. And then we have the New Testament church. And, and God once again now tabernacles with his people in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, come and, and drink from me. Christ is the river whose streams make glad the city of God. And you find in, in the book of Revelation, the city coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And, and there's a river in the city running right through the middle of the streets and the tree of life on either side, always yielding fruit. And the leaves are for the healing of the nations. It's a beautiful image that, that in this world, God has entered and God has a community where he lives with his people and he nourishes his people with streams of grace and kindness and compassion and love. And friends, the church of Jesus Christ is exactly that in the world today. It doesn't mean that everything's just peace and calm in the church. The church is, is uh, we're still the church militant, the church not yet perfected. There will be, there'll be heartaches and there will be trials and failures and sin and yet the church of Jesus Christ is the city of God where Christ dwells and nourishes His people And in the church, you see, we can have this confidence that it's going to be okay. The world around us might be falling apart. Verse 7, the nations rage. The kingdoms totter. That's what's going on. Just read your newspaper. God utters his voice and the earth melts. But verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress remember uh, someone just saying, I can't remember who it was, but it was uh, something I read, Somebody just reflecting on this last election and, and how tore up people were about it and, and how emotionally uh, affected people were about it. And he said maybe one of the lessons that the church has to learn here is, is, is that if, you're, if we're that wrapped up emotionally in the outcome of an election for the president of this country, maybe we've, maybe we've forgotten that every Sunday we get to go to a place and celebrate a kingdom whose, uh, who's, who's, the throne is, is, is eternal and secure and inhabited with Jesus Christ. It's a kingdom that will never be shaken. Maybe, maybe, we just, maybe this was a good reminder for all of us to once again center our identity as citizens of heaven and, and a little less as citizens of earth. And that, that whatever takes place, whoever inhabits the White House, Right? This nation, along with all the other nations, has a, a limited, uh, it's got a termination date on it. It's going to fail. And we, we, we live in this, in this country as good citizens, but this is not, we're not living, our, our, our confidence isn't here. Our trust isn't here. Our life and health and peace isn't here. It's in the city of God. It's, it's the place where the streams, the rivers of God make us glad. And so, finally, the conclusion, things to know. Because the last stanza then just calls us to fix our eyes on God. Verse 8, come, behold the works of the Lord. It's just like saying, hey, everybody, everybody gather around. Uh, I want to show you something. Behold, see, observe, notice, God. Behold the works of the Lord. And, And it references God at work both bringing desolation and peace. Behold the works of the Lord, how he brought desolations on the earth. So the, the first thing that we, that we want to know is that God is in control of human history. God is in control of human history. Are there earthquakes? Are there wars? Are there bombings? Are there devastations? Are there uh, awful things happening in the world? Yes, there are. And the psalmist says, behold the works of the Lord. Now, again, we, there's a lot of theology in there. We don't want to ascribe evil to God. He's not the author of evil. And yet God is not ashamed to say that there's nothing that takes place in this world apart from his ordaining. That, that the, the devastations and desolations do not happen apart from the sovereign hand of God. And so when you see awful things happening, you, 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 you can grieve the, the awful thing happening without losing your faith, without, without wondering if God has abandoned this world. He's not abandoned His creation. He's actively ordaining and maintaining the presence of calamity does not mean the absence of God. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he, he has brought desolations on the, on the earth. And then, and then times of peace. Verse 9, he makes wars cease to the end of the world. He, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Are there times of prosperity and, and peace and fruit and goodness? Yes, there are. Praise God. Come, behold the work of the Lord. Isn't that good to know as we go into a new year? 2017 is going to be filled with the works of our God. Human history is is about what God is doing in his world. Do Do we get it all? Do we fathom why God does what he does? No, we don't know why he does all he does. Why do people have to suffer in so many places in such awful ways? And, and, and why do the, the tragedies that decimate our lives, why, why do those things happen? I don't know. The secret things belong to God. But the revealed things belong to us and to our children, And the revealed thing is that God is in control. that our future, this next year is in the hands of a God who is our refuge and strength. So that's the first thing to know, God's in control. The second thing, God is God. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. It's the first time that God speaks first person in the psalm because he wants us to hear this. Be still and know that I am God. Well, what does that mean? Because we'll say, well, I know he's God. I believe in God. Yeah, but th- does that reflected in, in how you live? Are you still in that knowledge? Are you confident? Do you know that God is God and is it reflected? And what exactly does it mean that God is God? Well, God tells us what it means. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So let me just point out the point then. What God wants you to know and me to know is that God as God exists exists and acts for his own purposes. That will clear up a lot of confusion in people's mind and life. You see, one of the reasons, one of the primary reasons people are so frustrated with God or give up on God is because they don't understand that God is God. And what they what they what they mean when they say I believe in God is I believe there's a benevolent divine force that exists to help me achieve my ends or or to help make my life easier or the way that I would prefer it to be. That, that that's that's the God I believe in, the, the God of my plans. And God will say, Well, that's not who I am. God is the God of his plans. God is, 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 is about this one thing. I will be exalted among the nations. He see, God's great purpose, what's the chief end of God? It's to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. So his great purpose is his own glory. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't exist to serve our preferences and, and to help us be happy. He exists to serve his preferences and to make himself happy. That, that might sound, you might sense that that's a, there's, a conf, there's conflicting interests there. That may well be. Because if your life is about making you happy and getting God to help you do that, yes, there's gonna be conflicting interests. It's not what God is about. Be still, sit down, shut up, listen, right? God is saying, hey, I'm God. No, I am God. And the great purpose of all things, the purpose of all creation, the driving motive behind all things, the grand end of all history is this. I will be exalted. That's it. Everything exists for that. I will get glory for my name. Now, there's reasons why that ought to thrill you. For one thing, isn't it wonderful to know that that you don't exist for the puny ends of your own preferences? Your own pleasures, your your own puny little purposes? I mean, what a waste of of perfectly good air and water and food to keep you alive for however many years. You exist for something magnificent, to be displays of the splendor of the glory of God. Because everything is moving in that direction. That's why you exist. It's why the church of Jesus Christ exists. It's why the universe exists. So that one day every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess, Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. And that ought to thrill you, you see, because it means that your life has significance beyond what you could ever imagine. There is a grand purpose. There is a magnificent glory, something that's unimaginably great and beautiful and precious that God has called you to be a part of, and that is to glorify, exalt the name of God. It's why you exist. It's the purpose. It's the point. Be still and know that I am God. So that means then, whatever trials God brings, that if we can say, Lord, I don't know why this is here, but but as long as you get the glory for it, then I'm satisfied. But there's a promise here as well I will be exalted. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Do you realize that, that, that there are billions of people today who do not exalt God as God? That there are, there are leaders of nations who scoff, mock the living God, absolutely confident there is no God. Maybe they'll mouth some Paltry little religious ideas or phrases, but, but they, there's no sense of God being God, and yet God promises that. You see, human history is not in the hands of those evil men. I will accomplish my purpose, I will be exalted. He, he's going to win, it's going to happen. Things are going to be made right the the way that they were meant to be. That's that's what it means to be still and know that I am God. It's going to be okay. God has this. God is going going to win. He's going to be exalted, and you get to be a part of it. And the third thing, and the final thing here to know, God is with us. God is in control. God is God. God is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I love that God refers to himself as the God of Jacob. It's one of the most popular, if not the most popular name. Uh, God of David, you'll find in the Bible four times. God of Abraham, you'll find 17 times. The God of Jacob, you'll find 23 times. No other name related to one of the patriarchs, right, compares God is the God of Jacob. It's particularly popular in the Psalms. Jacob's descendants, Israel, blessed is he, Psalm 146, whose help is the God of Jacob. So you don't read of the God of Moses or the God of Solomon or of Joshua or of Noah. He was, of course, God, but that's not how he names himself. So why Jacob? Let me just give you two things to wrap up with. First, because God being the God of Jacob is the biblical evidence par excellence of the sovereign electing love of God, the sovereign unmerited free electing love of God. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. doesn't mean that he had, he was, um, had hateful emotions toward Esau, it just means that he didn't turn his face towards Esau, but he turned his face to Jacob. When? Before either one of them were born. Or had done anything, either good or evil. That, that love, you see, was, was, was the foundation underneath Jacob's life before Jacob even existed. And that because God had set his love on Jacob. You, you remember Jacob. He's, a, he's, a, he's, just, he's just a miserable man. He's a liar, schemer, does not trust God, given amazing promises and blessings, and he's just living for himself over and over and over and over. If you would have known Jacob and known Esau, you would have admired Esau. He's honorable. He provides for his family. He's not this lying schmuck. Jacob have I loved. Jacob. Why Jacob? Because God chooses the lowly things. Why you? He chooses the despised things, so that no one may boast before him. But but, but what we want to see here is if, he, if God is the God of Jacob, God wants us to see that, that, that love, sovereign, eternal, predestining, ordaining affection, desire, benevolence, interest, passion for, concern for. That is the the thread that runs through your life. That's the foundation you exist on. In love, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons. In love. So that when you're in the trial, when the the, the ocean is roaring and things are giving way. You know that underneath all of that is sovereign electing love. Why are you a Christian? Because God knew you, and God claimed you, and God gave you to Jesus Christ because he loved you. And so Paul can say, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the life of faith. That's the God of Jacob. And the God of Jacob, then God wants us to know this the wonderful truth of preserving grace. The the work that God has begun, he's going to carry on to completion. Jacob, after receiving the assurance of God, I will be a God to you, and I'm going to make you multiply, I'm going to bless you. Jacob receives that, and then he just runs out and acts like he never heard a word of it. How do you explain Jacob ending up being the father of a great nation? It's God's electing Preserving grace. In spite of all Jacob's waywardness and wickedness, Jacob's distrust, Jacob's disobedience, Jacob's falterings, Jacob's failings, God dealt mercifully and kindly and kept his promise every single step of the way. Preserving grace. And friends, that's our confidence as we begin another year. And we have a confidence that's made even more certain, sealed with the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are so much like Jacob, weak in our faith, prone to self-serving, prone to unbelief, prone to scheming and planning and worrying and and, and being, uh, being afraid and lashing out. And yet God blesses and blesses and blesses. You look back over 2016 and all the blessings that you received this past year, how many of them were earned by your good behavior? Not a single one. Every single one purchased for you by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are unworthy and yet blessed beyond measure because Jesus Christ, you see, was infinitely worthy and cursed in our place. And so as we look forward to a new year, you can know we're going to stumble, we're going to falter, but the God of Jacob is our refuge. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He's loved us before this world began. He's going to love us when this world is done. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. That's the promise we have from the mouth of our Lord. He's going to hold us fast. Let's honor him with faith. Let's pray. God in heaven, what an amazing truth. You are our God. The God of Jacob is our God. That the story of our life isn't told simply from the date of our birth to the date of our death, but... The story of our life is best told in the pages of eternity, where you loved us and gave us to Christ. Oh God in heaven, I pray that this morning, if there are any here who do not know that to be true for themselves, that you would, oh God, lead them to, to true faith and repentance today. Help them to see that this, this Jesus has come into the world for, for sinners like Jacob, sinners like us. That our sin is no barrier to the wonderful truth of God's grace, but is exactly the canvas on which God displays the wonder of it. Lord, I pray that we would enter this new year with a commitment that we will not fear. And when we do fear, that we will remember who we are and whose we are, and we'll remember who has this whole world in his hands, and that nothing can separate us from the love that called us. The love that brought Jesus to this earth and brought him to a cross. Oh God, I thank you that that love now reigns on high and is promised to come again. And so I pray we would enter into a brand new year, Lord, as confident people, calmly assured, strengthened by the joy of of our salvation, the joy of the Lord. Lord, ready to serve, ready to to be useful in your hands for the accomplishing of your great purpose, the glorifying of your name. Lord, let that happen this year, and 2017 will be a blessed year. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.